0: You're listening to The Best of, The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao.
1: It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Our guest today is the director of The Last One, Unfolding the AIDS Memorial Quilt. It's a documentary that uncovers the beginning, or or I should say the point in which the AIDS Memorial Quilt was produced, and also discusses the impact on politics, science, and the media. Uh, In the documentary itself, uh, it features activists like Cleve Jones, Patricia Nalls, and Julie Road. Um, So I'm very, very excited to have the director of this film with us. Let's welcome Nadine Lacoste to the show. Nadine, welcome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for, for having me. So the film focuses on the AIDS Memorial Quilt and its significant uh, meaning to us and our community. Let's talk about how the history of the, uh, the AIDS Memorial Quilt and the HIV AIDS uh, movement was explored in the film. Mm-hmm. Well, we had
2: a you know, great opportunity um, when we got involved with the, um, with the Names Project Foundation. Um, they were presenting the quilt to the Smithsonian Folk Life Festival um in two thousand twelve and uh that really um allowed us to um uh to be in one place and interview a lot of people that were involved in the beginning of the uh A's Memorial quilt and people that had been uh, touched by it and either participating in it by by either creating quilts or by those who were organizing um the quilt. So it, it um it for for me it was an amazing opportunity to um to talk to people, uh, legacy people, uh, new people that had perhaps had never heard of the quilt, which, you know, sort of, it's very generational. Um, so a lot of young people don't even know the quilt existed, um, and so the history sort of unfolded right there in front of us in Washington, um, and it was, um, you know, there was a great amount of significance being in Washington, D.C., um, and then, of course, you know, the film itself does explore um, the history through archival uh, material, as well as we, you know, we did travel around and interview folks um, who were involved, so... Um, what was wonderful about doing a film like this was being able to explore that history, but then also trying to make it very relevant for today. Um, we're trying to understand the, the the disease and the progression of it and, and the uh, activism around it and then uh, sort of the communities that uh, are affected by HIV-AIDS over the years and, and actually presently.
1: Let's start with uh the history of the quilt. Um I mean here in San Francisco it's very easy to find information regarding the quilt and also, you know, just have access uh to to it. And you mentioned earlier, you know, young people or the generational thing, um kinda are, are not so aware of the history of the quilt. Um let's start there. Let's start about, you know, the beginning. Uh you know, the idea of how the quilt was produced. Yeah, Sure. Um I mean I think that, you know, the, the, the
2: most interesting thing for me um, about the quilt is its ability to cross over boundaries and to cross into different communities. So, you know, what was happening in the you know the HIV/AIDS movement uh, in the you know the 80s um, was obviously was uh, hitting the LGBT community greatly. But you know, it the, the quilt allowed other people to get involved. And to me, that is sort of the, you know, the one of the most important things you can do in a movement is to try to bring other people into your movement and get them to understand it, um, you know, firsthand. And I think that's what uh, the Names Project Foundation has done. Um, and what they did with the quilt was, you know, by naming people, um, which, you know, at the time was, was taboo. Uh, you know, people were frightened. People were um, intimidated. They didn't want to necessarily name names. And the idea of putting your loved one's name on a, on a quilt um, came, you know, from Cleve Jones. And uh, what he was able to do with that was really foster, a com- you know, a community within a community and uh, get people to sort of be active by naming, by naming names. And, and that is to me just, you know, it, it, it talks about, you know, the anonymity of the community, it talks about, you know, people who were suffering alone uh, or embarrassed by, you know, what was happening perhaps and and the community of their family, you know, their, their perhaps biological family that were, you know, either shunning them or, um, you know, disowning people. I mean, there's a lot that was going on at that time that, again, I think just bringing it back to uh, young people today you know, we have great freedom now to express ourselves and to be out there and um, with a little bit less, perhaps less fear in some cases. Um, and that that's why the history is so, is so important, I think, to explore, because you really get a chance to go back and say, oh, what was it like then in 19, you know, in the 1980s? And, uh, and what was it like to be, not just, you know, gay, but to be HIV positive?
1: Right, right. And speaking of Cleve Jones, perfect segue uh, to our next question you know, Cleve talks very openly about during that time, um, and it was he was terrified. It was is everything was extremely scary and horrific. You're losing your friends, your companion, a, a piece and a part of your community, and you, um, you know, by producing a film like this at uh, in 2014, 2015, in in looking back at the history, and then now. Uh, what are some of those feelings and sentiments? What are those those thoughts like from Cleve Jones in the importance of uh, continuing to create and produce films like the last One unfolding the AIDS Memorial quilt?
2: yeah, I mean Cleve has been a great supporter of the film, and I think you know he's continued to be an activist throughout his years, whether he's been involved with the with the quilt um or through other um you know other um, uh, ac- uh, activism um I think that when we when you talk about the quilt and you talk about um keeping it alive or you know kind of keeping it out there um i think that's really really important to to the you know to AIDS activists from the 80s um I think it's difficult because it does bring up a lot of, of trauma uh, it does bring up a lot of you know feelings um, but i I also think it's you know people um, who were involved back then and um, are still involved in uh, either AIDS organizations or in other in other ways uh, really want to keep that keep the memory alive because it's the kind of thing that you know it, it wraps around a lot of different um, Issues, so it's not just you know HIV/AIDS and healthcare, but it's you know how do you set healthcare policy? How do you, you know, how does government get involved? Um, you know, what does what does it mean to you know to identify and then and fight uh, fight for legal um, uh, legal rights and things like that? So there's so much that goes that went into it back then. It was sort of the nexus of of you know community activism, and um, I think that anyone who was in, around then you know really feels like they want to pass that, those lessons along. Um, And certainly passing it along not only to the LGBT community, but then to other communities that are affected. And we do a lot of, you know, we focus a lot of attention on, in the film, on young people and also on communities of color, and specifically black women. And we really try to, you know, shine a light on that community so that people understand that what was happening back in the 80s is still happening. But it is just happening to a different group of
3: people.
1: Right. Right, right. Michelle Miel, we're speaking with Nadine Lacoste, who is the director of the last one, unfolding the AIDS memorial quilt. Um, Nadine, I, I also wanted to point out. I mean, the the the, uh, the documentary and it being released and and viewed in in several uh, different on several different dates also has um, something significant and important attached to it—an actual campaign that reaches out to young people, right?
2: Yep, that's right. We're we're launching a campaign right now to bring it to high schools and uh, community organizations uh, to get the to, to get the film screened and then also to have discussions and to continue those conversations that uh, that that. Uh, need to happen. And, um, we're doing that, uh, with, uh, in concert with the Names Project Foundation. So, you know, various high schools and, um, even middle schools and, and colleges, uh, can sign up for a screening of the film. And, uh, you know, there'll be, we can also provide quilt. The quilt is, is massive, but it is archived and it is, um, you know, able to be, uh, sent out to, to, uh, uh, even, even by region. So, if you're, for instance, if you're you know, in, the, obviously in the San Francisco area, but anywhere in the country, people have submitted quilts from different parts of the country. Those um, specific quilts can be requested uh, and, and would be sent and, and put on display uh, in um, uh, coordination with the screening of the film. So it could be an ama- a really amazing opportunity for people to feel and see the quilt and also understand the history by watching the film.
1: Um, I really, really like that idea. I think that that is so awesome and so amazing. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about how, yeah, there's still the stigma of of the HIV AIDS community, but also members of our own community maybe being desensitized from, you know, the older generation who may have been traumatized from it. Kind of what are your feelings about that since this project is really looping in the generation that we're talking about?
2: yeah we talked to you know some young people um and uh people that are uh that hiv positive and um we 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 do spend a lot of time uh, in the film looking at that community of people and trying to understand that what they're going through is very similar to what people went through in the eighties. The difference is that there's not a there's not an uproar around it right there's so much, there's medications there are you know people treat uh, HIV, AIDS today like they treat diabetes or some other, you know, chronic disease. Um, and so the, um, the, the care is, is, you know, certainly a lot better and people, you know, had to have there's more access to that care. Um, and especially with things like, you know, um, with health care reform and things like that, there's even more opportunity to, to get uh, services. But what's still there is the stigma. And I think that's something to really explore as a, as a society. You know, how do we, um, you know, certainly move, continue to try to move away from stigmatizing people because of, of what we think they're, you know, they're, um, uh, they've done wrong or they've, you know, that this is something that was, you know, that... Um, They've done to themselves. You know, I just recently wrote an uh, editorial about uh, Daddy Pintoro, who um, spoke on the View about uh, his HIV status, and uh, you know, the, the conversation that that, um, that happened around that was just was was uninformed. And I think people are still not, uh, you know, they don't understand what it what it means to um, be stigmatized in that way. And uh, I think that's a, again, it's a conversation to have because the stigma. Stigmatization of someone with HIV/AIDS is the same stigma of, you know, being of color or, you know, the things that you enter into if you're, you know, have some other um, other issue. And and I, it seems so like we we fought for this, we changed people's hearts and minds, but that still remains uh, for some reason. And uh, you know, when you look at it and you really look at the history of HIV/AIDS and you say, okay, well if if we would have done something different you know could we have changed the path of this disease um you know it's still obviously a, um a big uh, issue in um uh, globally and a lot of that is based on stigma because of people's sexual practices and people you know um are are shunned uh, and are don't have access to care because of that not because it's not available but because they're afraid so it's a very complicated issue but um something you know i think that could Continue to be explored by, uh, especially by young people.
1: Absolutely, and uh, it's also a great uh, moment for us to take a break. But when we come back, I'd love to continue our discussion and uh, dive into, you know, the politics and healthcare and kind of where we're at today. Um, once we kind of got through the history of the AIDS Memorial Quilt, so stay with us. Yes, thank you. the Michelle Miall Show continues right after this. Don't go away.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show.
1: It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of The Michelle Miao Show.
1: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Wednesday, October 21st. I am Michelle Miao, your host. Our producer, Fong, is in studio, and our guest today is Nadine Lacoste, who's the director of The Last One, Unfolding the AIDS Memorial Quilt. Um, So, Nadine, right before the break, we talked about, you know, just the the stigma and how it's impacted our community and now, uh, obviously, uh, different types of communities, and it's not just focusing on the LGBTQ community and the film really explores the vulnerable communities today as we're still impacted by hiv aids right
2: yeah yeah that's right and i think that you know um the young young people are you know the, the stats are um one in four new infections are uh, youth between 13 and 24 years old and i think that's a you know again part of what we're trying to bring uh, bring out here is that um you know, uh, being being unaware or being sexually active and unaware of your status, um, you know, what does that mean if you're 13, 14, 15 years old? Um, living with HIV, if you're diagnosed at that age, you know, what does that mean for your lifespan? Um, there's just so much to discuss. And um, I think people, because there have been treatments um, and those treatments have been... Um, Uh, successful for the most part, people don't um, necessarily feel like they can, um, well, they actually, they feel like they can sort of, they can treat it like an STD, you know, it's, it's like something you just sort of take some medicine for and it's over. So, you know, really focusing attention uh, on that younger population and, and letting them understand what it means to be on an HIV uh, regimen, a drug regimen for the rest of your life, what does it mean for, you know, the impact, you know, does, it, does, it, does HIV lead to other, other diseases and things like that, you know, the complications around it, um, and then, you know, also understanding what's the lifespan of someone with HIV. Um, so trying to educate people to uh, what they can do to protect themselves and what they can do to uh, protect their partners um, is really, really vital.
1: You know, back in the 80s, we there, a lot of the activism surrounded um, the, the fact that the government uh, was ignoring the situation, not doing anything. We really fought for the government mm-hmm. to do something. And now, you know, 50 years later, the government has responded. Uh, but I wonder, kind of from your perspective and and you having been involved in this film and um you know is, is the government of the par uh in mm-hmm. in kind of their response to hiv aids and the, how it continues to impact our communities
2: i think that you know what like say politics you know everything is local and so you know from a federal level you know obviously depending on who the who the who's in the administration um I think that matters, right? So, you know, where we are right now with the Obama administration, you know, they're they're doing they're doing good things. They're, you know, they keep they get the word out. I mean, when you look at the difference between the 1980s and today, you know, during World AIDS Day, the president will likely say something about AIDS, which you know in the 80s they wouldn't even mention it. So there's a huge shift there. But when you think about things on a local level, you know. Government is is in your is in schools, right? I mean, the the local school districts, uh, you know, are uh, based on state laws and community law. Uh, uh, they determine whether or not they're going to teach abstinence or they're going to teach other, you know, sexual education. So that, to me, is where the, really the discussion needs to happen. It's on a very local level because you know your community where you grew up. Uh, is different from somebody else in America where they grow up. So what they're hearing, what they're learning, is going to be different just by the, where they live. And that, to me, is is something that you know we we we, get, we have an opportunity now to really look at that and focus that attention because we're not fighting the disease, the way we were fighting it in the 80s, where we were fighting for, you know, people's lives. Mm-hmm. Now we're fighting for it in a very different way. And I think that that's, a, you know, we, we need to be vigilant and we need to continue to think about that and say, okay, from, a, from the, on the, on the most base level, you know, what are we teaching our kids and who teaches them and what are they teaching them about? So mm-hmm. that, to me, is where the politics really come in today.
1: What I really enjoyed about the film also is the exploration of different communities that the that HIV/AIDS is uh, currently impacting. I mean, I, I think that a while ago people used to think HIV/AIDS only affected um, uh, white gay men, right? And and uh, today, I mean, even within the LGBTQ community, we must not forget that HIV/AIDS also impacts the most vulnerable of our community mm. today: trans women.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and, I, you know, again, I think it's about, you know, being able to speak up and being able to find a voice and knowing that it's happening and talking about it. You know, I mean, that's the best way to to, to root out the problem um, is to start communicating that there is a problem, right, to say, okay, this is something that can affect you. And Are people being educated properly? Are they, you know, do they understand safe sex, safe sex practices? Do they understand where to go for help uh, or if they have questions? And, um, you know, things definitely have changed a lot. Um, but the, the basics remain the same, and that is people, when they're talking about sex, are, you know, sometimes embarrassed and sometimes uh, shunned and sometimes, um, you know, feel, don't feel free enough to talk about um, well, how to protect themselves and to protect their partners. And I think that that's a big, um, another place for us to have, uh, you know, a, a real honest discussion.
1: Absolutely. Um, What is the status of the AIDS Memorial Quilt today? I I know that it's massive, uh, but Mm -hmm. it sounds like people are continuing to create their own quilts around the world.
2: It is true that people continue to send the quilt in, and that's amazing. Um, So people um, uh, around the world uh, do uh create quilt and send it to the to the uh Aids Memorial quilt which is actually housed in Atlanta. Um it was moved to Atlanta for San Francisco and uh when that that move took place, you know, it sort of uh, mirrored where the disease was um was most prevalent, so in the in an African American community. Um and so What I think is amazing about the quilt is that it still goes out, and it's, you know, especially on World AIDS Day, I mean, that's sort of like that's the the, sort of a key date in the the calendar where um, they send out um, uh, panels. And uh, there are constantly people uh, requesting those panels, and they're being sent out for just to be put on display. And, you know, it's just an amazing thing to see. You know, when people see the quilt, I have, you know, I have young kids and when we did the film, you know, they got to see this quilt and, and it just touched them in a way that even the film I mean, the film does one part of it, but seeing the quilt itself it does something just so much more emotional uh, in some way. And, um, you know, everyone has their own response to it. But again, when you see the display, if it's just a few panels, you you could you could see the people you know that are memorialized. You can feel the people that built that made the quilt itself, and and, and were trying to honor someone's memory. Um, and it's just uh, um, it, it, you walk away with a whole different feeling. And um, and I really encourage people to to. Um, uh, again, go to their community groups, colleges and high schools and, and see if we can get the film and the quilt to those places so that more and more people can see it. So it's not, number one, not forgotten, but also so that the conversation can can continue around
1: it. And, and for those who are involved in it uh, today and, and want the film in their school, uh, is there a website that they can visit for more information?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, they can go to com. Cool. and um yep there's a uh, email address attached there um uh, and we will um just hit, hit contact us and we will uh we will write directly back uh
1: as we wind down here I do want to uh bring up this this amazing point that you make in that a film like this i mean can do so much for our community's education but also empowerment in that we can take back our lives and take charge of it uh if you could speak to to that entire quote in the press release that would be awesome
2: mm-hmm. Well, you know I think one of the things about um the quilt is that it really was the time it was a it was a a time and place that sort of unlike any other time and place for the lgBT movement because uh, it really started. An awareness of of the community and the community took charge, and that to me feels like such an empowering moment. That you know, we were fighting for obviously for you know our brothers and sisters that were uh, that were succumbing to the disease, but we were also fighting for the people that you know had uh, that were exposed in other ways, or or our family members and things like that. So it it really you know was an opportunity to bring people together, um, and uh, again the community itself was 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 very present and was, was tough and strong and stood together. And, um, you know, that's something that, uh, I think there, you know, kudos to the people that, that did that in the beginning in the, in the eighties. And then I think for us, you know, it's a question of, you know, are we going to stay together and continue to, you know, continue to fight? Um, I think it's something that, um, we can certainly bring many people together and, um, and, again, with education and really passing it forward and, and uh, paying forward all the lessons that we learned together and um, letting this next generation know that they're you know, that we're larger than ourselves, right? We're, we're more than the sum of our parts.
1: So amazing. Thank you so much for elaborating on that. I think your words are so uh, great for empowering us. Um, I do want to bring up before we let you go that there are some special screenings that are happening across the country and uh, here in San Francisco this fall. Uh, Do you want to talk about the one coming up November 10th in San Francisco?
2: Yeah, that's um, actually a wonderful event. It will happen at the Castro, which we're very, very proud of. Um, you know, that that theater has a great, and that area, of, co- of course, has great... Uh, 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 resonance for us, and so we are uh, inviting you know as many people who can show up to please show up there, um, see the film uh, right there in the center of where it all began. Um, I'm very very proud of uh, proud of the, the all the all the people that worked on this film, and um, you know I think it's a great testament to the community that we would uh, present it there uh, in this November.
1: And for those not in San Francisco, uh, the documentary will also screen it at the Tacoma Art Museum, on November 12th in Tacoma, Washington, and also December 1st, World AIDS Day at San Quentin State Prison in Marin County, which is north of San Francisco, and Jacoby Medical Center in Bronx, Bronx New York. But for those who uh, will not be able to attend the special screenings, Nadine, uh, my understanding is that the documentary is still being shown on Showtime?
2: It is um we we don't know the schedule for the next couple of months but it uh they do uh they will be airing it um it is also available on iTunes um, so, uh, we're, you know, if you can't, if you don't have showtime for whatever reason, then, uh, iTunes is an opportunity. Uh, it's available, um, basically on demand. And, um, and then of course, if, uh, people are interested in, in having screenings in their area and sort of a, a larger gathering, then again, going to the last one and just hitting that contact us button and we will, um, we'll get some information to them.
1: Nadine, thank you so much for joining us here on the program this morning and for sharing this amazing film. My pleasure, and thank you so much for um, focusing attention on it. I appreciate that. The Michelle Miao Show continues after this. We'll continue celebrating the Third Eye Film Festival, which is the South Asian Film Festival, so don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of The Michelle Miao Show.
5: Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works you know I would say to young kids you know just kind of form your own identity and uh, and you know don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement
0: brought to you by wells fargo together we'll go far and now back to the michelle meow show
1: it's michelle meow you're listening to the best of show we're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this hump day. We are trying our best to help you get over (laughs) this hump in the week. So that's why we're celebrating the Third Eye Film Festival, the South Asian Film Festival that kicks off here in San Francisco, or the San Francisco area. Our next guest is a Chicago-based writer and performer, Fazia Mirza, who brings a queer perspective to the festival with her live performance, Me, My Mom, and Sharmila. Uh, she also has a couple of short films out, the first session, and Reclaiming Pakistan. Let's welcome Fazia to the program. Fazia, welcome. Fazia? Hello? Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm sorry. We didn't we we didn't catch you. We didn't hear you. I know you're uh, en route to so many things happening. It's a big week for you. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, there's a lot going on this week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we're really excited for your performance. Uh, I, I think that we should start with, let's start with your live performance, um, which is that like just, uh, you know, Comedy, or is it drama, or is it just you?
3: It's uh, well, I guess it's it's probably always a little bit of of just me, but um, it's uh, it's it's comedic and it's uh, you know dramatic, but it's it's a uh, it's a one woman show about uh, me and my relationship with my mother, told to our shared love for this uh, famous um, Indian film cinema star, Bollywood heroine named Sharmila Tagore. And she was really famous in the sixties and seventies, and and so essentially, I mean, it's, you know, I, I love to use humor as a way of talking about tough topics, and also a way of, of of connecting with people and audiences and uh, across communities. So you know, it's 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 funny, but then also, and you know, it's stories about my life, and, and you know, there's always a little bit of leeway taken with those stories but but then it also uh gets into more serious stuff as well but hopefully the goal is is that through humor we've connected and i've connected to the audience and they're willing to kind of go on the rest of the journey journey with me i feel
1: so it's, like uh, it's, yeah well i was just going to say i feel like we all kind of have a, a comedic take on our relationships with our mother and then it can also be heartbreaking at the same time but uh we all have you know these very specific stories of how that all plays out so i'm, I'm wondering um you know kind of do you touch and explore on well i guess what are what are the the heartbreaking moments you touch and explore in this live performance
3: Oh man, heartbreaking moments. To get the heartbreaking moments you gotta come to the show.
1: I can't give you all of that right now. <laughs> I want it all. Man. I want it all now.
3: <laughs> yeah, I uh well what I can tell you is yeah, I mean I think I think even our, our darkest moments, even of our, our, our most tragic moments, I, I think there is uh something I think there is laughter, I think there is comedy, I think I think we have to find it for ourselves sometimes to survive. I think that life can be so tragic and difficult and, you know, we have a lot of external forces working on us that, that make life hard enough. And if we're not finding that kind of lightness and that sweetness and that, that humor, I, I think we're, we're losing opportunities to, to just live better. So, um, you know, I think we all have these, whether we know our mothers or don't or have ever met our mothers or, or haven't, we, we still have this relationship with this figure in our lives and who they might have been, or, or whatever form mother, quote-unquote mother takes, And so, you know, they are, they do shape us, whether we want them to or not, and I think as we, you know, as you get older, or as you get younger, however your perspective is on age and time, like, you you sort of, um, you're, you're struggling with what that can mean, and even if you don't realize you are, you probably are, um, and whether that means Um, for me one of the greatest things is and I think I hope it's pretty relatable is you know oftentimes we're different than than what our parents or what our mothers wanted us to be that doesn't necessarily mean it's good or bad it's just different and in some ways you might be exactly like your mother but she might not see that or you might not see that oh yeah so whether that's yeah whether it's like identity or whether it's you know what you want, like what you want to do with your life, what kind of job you want to have, whether you're, whether you're queer, whether you're straight, whether you're trans, whether you're, uh, you know, uh, having kids or not having kids, or whether you're like I'm not a doctor. uh, the the classic Asian uh, I think dilemma. <laughs> uh you know it's it's just sort of not fulfilling that sometimes you you you're not fulfilling the destiny of your family of your yeah. mother I
1: I wanted to ask if you explore this concept cuz for me as a as a queer woman um I I actually happen to find that I have a lot in common with my mom who's Super supposedly hetero, extremely hetero, but um, we have a lot in common, like you know. And so I wonder if you explore that in this live performance, and just kind of, you know, you're trying to connect with your mom, um, but yet uh, emerging with this identity as a as a queer woman of color. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually, uh, you know, I think that I I think
3: that I have a lot in common with my mother. I think I have a lot in common with her. And I think, that, um, I think that for me, the show was actually an exploration of that so, and, and a way to reconcile all of that. You know, I think, I think it's really easy to get bogged down by all of the things that don't connect you or don't work out in a relationship or are different. But I, I think there's something really beautiful about finding the similarities. I mean, I, people... We'll say, "Oh, I like your laugh." I'm like, "Well, that's my mom's laugh." Or people think, ask me, "Well, how do you have so much energy?" I said, "I don't know, but my mom was the same way." Um, and and I, I think that even though you know she's not necessarily she's not very as accepting or as open to you know being me being in a relationship with women. Um, you know for me, this play was a way of exploring the fact that, you know, mom, we are different in, in, in many ways, but I am who I am because I'm exactly like you. Yeah. Um, and everything that I do that, that that's been great, I think, is the result of, of a lot of my energy, a lot of your energy in me and right. embracing it, you know and not being afraid of, of saying that, man, this is who I am, you're in me, and I, I love it. I'm not going to reject it.
1: Uh Well, we're absolutely excited for it, and we can't wait to go see it before I move on to uh, your short um films. I just wanted to remind everyone that the performance happens the 23rd, so in a couple days, 7.15 in the evening, and that's at New Cinema right here in San Francisco, so I think New Cinema's Japantown, right? some Somewhere around there. Yeah, I'm asking my I, producer. I Sorry, Fazia. Oh, okay. It was <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
3: wait, are you asking me? I don't know, but I'll be there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, new, new Cinema is in Japantown. It's a really cool, neat, um, diverse you know theater. So I, I can't wait to see you. Um, let's move on. I can't
3: wait! Today. I can't wait to do the show out there. I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, well, uh, let's let's move on to reclaiming Pakistan, which is a you know, in under ten minutes, you take this huge task of talking about the Peshwar attack, um, and you you know, you were there for a wedding, um, but also it it you know explored just the uh, the struggles of religious liberty here, and, and and to me, it's like you opened up the film with making an extremely political statement that almost seemed like. You know politics and, and and terrorism and all that wrapped up. Uh, how courageous of you to produce this this short film. I mean, it, did you ever feel like you you shouldn't do it because it could be dangerous?
3: Um, I I don't I don't think I think of. I mean, obviously I'm you know I I I think about these things intelligently in the respect that anything we any things like this can be dangerous. So it's not like I I, I don't think about it, but I think I'm kind of in a place of privilege. You know, while I I do identify as a Pakistani and a Muslim, um, I'm still someone who is American and I live in the U.S. And so it's a lot easier for me to go somewhere, um, see something, hear stories, and then come back here and tell them, right? I mean, and and that doesn't discount the, the danger that people who do this kind of work way more often and in way more dangerous situations uh, and, and tell much more, you know, intense stories than than, than I am. Um, not to say that they're not putting their lives at stake, but I, I do think that, that there's a recognition of, of my privilege. I think the people who are living there, the people who are sort of, you know, whether, whether you know, the, the reclaiming Pakistan is, is about a, a, a Pakistani um, civil rights activist and a civil rights group and, you know, led by, at least in my short film, a guy named Muhammad Gibran Nasser. But, um, so it's not about, you know, me being a lesbian or anything like that, but I think that people who are gay, who live there and tell stories there are, are way more at risk than me going there, doing something and coming back. Mm-hmm. Or or people who are making documentaries who are living there amongst the people. Um, it, it's just a different reality. So I definitely appreciate, you know, the, 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 the kudos, but I, I, I think, I think I'm in a very different situation, and I, I, I feel like it's you know there is a responsibility that and a privilege that we have that we can take that we can use to help and tell more of those stories and put them out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, and in the um, short film, you know, the, you also addressed that social media was a tool uh, that the civil rights group had utilized to mobilize other diverse religious uh, groups as well. I mean, do you think that social media could change? Hearts and minds in a country like Pakistan.
3: Oh, sure. I think that um, I, what what I think that's fascinating, um, is that you know the the kind of like youth groups and young groups and younger populations in Pakistan are the same in, in many ways and share similarities as that demographic across the U.S. or in other countries. You know, it's people who you know want to watch the same kind of weird videos on YouTube and want to hear about the pop culture stuff that anybody, any American teenager here wants to hear about and wants to make content and wants to be funny and tell stories and see stand up and do improv and, and watch more theater and, um, you know, criticize the government through satire and, and, and social media is a way to do that, to consume it, to make it, to share it, to disseminate it. And, um, and, and, and people who are, you know, under thirty in Pakistan, a lot there's a lot of them that that share those similar views as as people here. The stuff that matters to their ancestors or families, you know, uh, twenty years ago, those same issues don't concern them. So, so I think it's a really powerful tool, and I think it's um, you know, as we can tell in social revolutions across the world, it's it's being used to change, to change, you know, uh, to, to to change minds, to affect governments. Um, and I I definitely I definitely think it's really an important tool in, in Pakistan.
1: That's so awesome. Well thank you for making that film and, and educating us on kind of what's going on. And in that same courageous perspective, you're also extremely um you know, not just courageous, but creative. And I I did get a chance to view uh, the first session, which I thought was extremely hilarious, (laughs) Uh, you know, which features these two women who are uh, in a therapist's office and they have their first session, but we find out that it's almost like their first date. I thought that it was like the modern lesbian love story. It's like quicker than the Uh, (laughs) U-Haul. What were your thoughts behind that? That's
3: really great. I love that. Well, yeah. Um, Actually, for the first session, um, I'm in LA right now because it's a, tonight. It's a, a finalist in the NBC Universal Short Film Festival, and so we're screening tonight, and, and really excited about that. Um, it was directed by a guy named Ryan Logan, who's my one of my creative life partners, platonic, platonic creative life partners. <laughs> uh, the, the impetus behind it was, you know, I, I want to see more. Um, you know, brown-skinned women portrayed. I want to see more uh, queer relationships portrayed, and um, you know, I think comedy is a great way to do that. And I also think it's important to tell stories where it's not just about, okay, this is a lesbian couple, and we're going to tell you that, and we're going to make it about who they are and their identities. It's just that here's a couple in a funny situation, um, and so that was part of it. And then also, I I, I knew of um, someone who. Uh, father and stepmom had actually gone into therapy very early on in their relationship, and so that idea just kind of popped into my head uh, after you know years. And um, I, I started playing with, well, it would be funnier if it went to the extreme. What if it were a blind date? And um, you know, yeah, of course I love it. Leave it to two women to be like, yeah, why don't we do this? Let's meet at a therapist's office and just get right to the heart of talking about who we are and our feelings, right? So, so that was kind of the the
1: idea behind it. Um, so the uh, woman who plays the the beautiful long dark hair woman, I guess the woman you end up making out with at the end. I, I mean, right. she she's. I just remember thinking the exact same thing. Yes, I would like to wrap her hair around my neck like a scarf. <laughs> 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 that was like the best line ever.
3: Oh, I love it. Well, I'll tell her that uh, tonight when she she's at the screening that that she's got some fans. Her, her name is Malazan McCarr, and she's amazing. It is the third short film that I've cast her in, and uh, she's just a really amazing actor that I know from Chicago, now lives in L.A., doing some really great work, um, you know, on television and in movies, and you're going to see a lot more of her in, you know, things that have nothing
1: to do with me. <laughs> well, the second half of that comment, though, was that, you, yes, you would like to wrap her hair around your neck, but then you didn't want... Yeah, it's something about, like, not wanting to emotionally commit uh, or something like that, right? Right. Which is, like, right. th- which is like you know, a lot of, of of women who have relationships with women, that's, like, our biggest fear. <laughs> right?
3: Well, and I think, you know, that was part of it, too, was that these two women... You know, you have this backstory essentially, of these uh, two women uh, who uh, might be a little dataphobic, phobic relationship-phobic, commit, commitment-phobes, who spend a lot of time online dating, can't really deal with what it's like to be real human beings. And, you know, the, the, the short comedic film doesn't quite get into all of that, but there's definitely, you know, in a longer piece, there'd be a really fun thing to explore about how, you know, these online profiles, are different than, you know, who you are when you actually meet somebody and how people are just a little terrified of actually interacting with human beings sometimes now. Um, and and online, prof- online dating sometimes or online anything can sometimes facilitate you not feeling like you have to be a real person to be in a relationship. Right.
1: right, Fazia, we're huge fans of yours. I know you got to run uh, to your next meeting, so thank you for taking the time out this morning to speak to us.
3: No problem. Thank you for having me and I'm excited to uh to come to San Francisco and perform for everybody and and screen all the shorts.
1: Yes, we have a shortage of lesbians or something like that. So, we'll be happy to have you.
3: <laughs> I will be there. I'm a full uh brown lesbian, uh a full-on brown lesbian for the two days I'm in town. So, I'll, nice. I'm excited to to bring it.
1: Nice. Very cool. Well, thanks again. And uh, for everyone out there, if you'd like to check out the two short films we discussed today, you can uh, be a part of the Coast to Coast Mumbai to the Mission, um, which is basically a collection of short films. And that happens October 25th at 5 o'clock. And uh, you can get more information about all these films, the ticket costs, which theater it's going to be at thirdeye.org. Um, let's take a quick short break, Fong. And when we come back, you and I will hold down the fort and close down the show. Hold the fort, close down. Well, you get what I'm saying. Don't go away. Come right back.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow.
4: Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com.
1: It's Michelle Miao, you're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Hey, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Wednesday, this hump day, uh, October 21st. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Fong is in studio with us, our producer. Hi. So, um, I thought that was another wonderful, great show. You know, two different films, but... um, you know, and I don't always like to talk to filmmakers, but there are so many films that are really telling the stories that impact our lives. Uh, that I think that they're they're extremely important.
4: I do agree, um, especially the the first interview you did with um, Nadine, I believe. Um, yeah, was about um, the generational understanding and the history behind, you know, understanding uh, HIV and AIDS and the things that people had to go through at that time. And it's always great to hear about these stories because, I mean, I'm I'm born in a different, you know, quote unquote generation, so I don't really know what happened in the past. And these documentary allow us to, you know, learn and understand about some of the things that we missed.
1: Right, and you know. Uh... I, I, There was something about what Nadine was touching upon, which is complacency in our community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can't get complacent because we're at a different um, age regarding HIV AIDS. We can't get complacent because we have marriage equality. I mean, all of these things are things that, yeah, we fought for, but we also must continue to fight to protect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, HIV AIDS being uh, the protection of our, our health. And now that we know so much more about... HIV AIDS, it's up to us to really, you know, continue combating the you know, the virus and, and, and also finding resources and ways to educate people in our community. That's so
4: true. And it is so important because most of the time it's like, Where do you go? Who do you ask about some of these questions? And as folks are getting older and then as our new generation are coming up, who are going to pass along these, you know, messages and these stories that we often don't get from, you know, just going to classes in the classroom setting from your, sometimes your professors might teach you. But most of the time, you know, those who don't really care or who don't really identify with a community or those who don't have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, the Third Eye Film Festival, I mean, it's so great to see some mm-hmm. of these film festivals start to include queer perspectives mm-hmm. or, you know, stories or films that touch on queer lives. And we used to kind of have to wait until the LGBT film festival in order to be able to see an actual gay film. Right. Uh, right. But now, I mean, especially like a person like you and I who have, a ver- you know, different identities and intersections. that's um, so amazing to go to be able to go to a film festival that's that's supposed to be cultural um and have views from your culture but also include your you know sexual orientation and or gender identity um so i'm really excited for the third eye film festival
4: yeah i agree um especially um Fuzzy has talked about you know the more the importance of talking about activism mm-hmm. and using film as um a way to you know send some messages understanding about you know Things that we don't know from a different country or the things that people are struggling with, because we may be having this quote unquote same struggles, but it's not like we understand what is it that other folks are going through and we can't really support each other if we don't have that um, common commonality. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. So I like that, you know, you're you're agreeing with me here. And yeah. I think that, <laughs> like, these, um, again, it goes back to, you know, a person who was in his 20s who had said to me, like, there's just no access to history or to to culture regarding the LGBTQ community. It's out there, but you got to have to want to go and attend and look for it. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, there can be more. There can always be more. But we're living... We're like the living legends of LGBTQ history and the movement in itself today. And Mm -hmm. so what you do, um, you know, the future depends on what you do today and how much you're willing to absorb.
4: Wow. I need to think about that. So what am I doing today is going to be recorded. It's going to be, you know, part of history.
1: You know what, Fong, there might be five people listening to us today, but maybe one day (laughs) there will be five million and you will have been a part of that process. Um, And I've always maintained, you know, especially in the website, it says there people are like, you know, you need a proper bio. You need to be able to tell people how old you are, like, you know, uh, the kind of, you know, your education, your upbringing. Because in my bio on my website really just says the reason why I'm doing this show. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because I think that we all kind of need to move toward accepting one another for our differences and our similarities in hopes that we can make it a better place. Uh, So that's the point of the show and just kind of, you know, sharing stories from people in not just the lgbtq community we've had people from the opposite community uh, and i mean what's opposite of lgbtq <laughs> i don't know but those who right, are not a part of the lgbtq community yeah <laughs> uh, people from uh, obvious religious backgrounds people from around the world um you know people who are in arts and culture and entertainment people who are politicians and in, in every show has been extremely fascinating to me i've i've always walked away from a show learning something about someone.
4: Definitely. This is why I appreciate the show a lot because we bring in not just one type of voice. We have many, many different types of folks coming and talking to us about, you know, their experiences, their understanding, their views, their beliefs. Sometimes it can be difficult to kind of sit through them, but at the same time, it allows me to understand, oh, we have different understanding, Mm -hmm. or you do not agree with me, but we can try to continue having a dialogue to listen and to just, you know,
1: let it out. Right, right. So that's why you have to tell everybody in your family, your friends, um, you know, you go to work and tell them to listen to the Michelle Miao show. Oh yeah, (laughs) a shameless plug Uh, (laughs) we're here on the Progressive Voices Network daily Monday through Friday 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time Monday we replay shows um, that you might may not have have caught throughout the week and then um, Sundays we air it's everything with B.B. Sweetbriar who's an amazing drag queen here in San Francisco she's also an entertainer a recording artist and uh, she talks about everything including pop culture and music and all this cool stuff that I can't talk about and then John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Commonwealth Club is the oldest public affairs forum here in California. Uh, They really, really focus on politics. um, And uh, he does a week to week roundtable political talk program on Fridays at four o'clock. But we'll be back tomorrow with a brand new fresh show. Uh, for you and some cool interviews. For everything else, you can head to com, and you can even check out our television show that uh, we do here in the Bay Area at com. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy your evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
3: It wasn't going to happen to me. I dated one guy.
4: I had to run in the room and cry because I pictured them as orphans. I started to prepare for death. I just remember laying up in the hospital thinking something's got to give. Act up, fight back, fight it!
5: I knew every one of these people, and none of them survived. We were laying down our dead in front of the White House. When are you going to stop this? The quilt was created to be a weapon against not only a disease, but the cruelty and bigotry
0: that the disease exposed. It gave people meaning at a time when things seemed very, very dark.
4: We thought we were going to save the world. 31 years into this epidemic, what part are we missing? There are HIV infection rates here in Washington, D.C., that rival certain parts of sub Saharan Africa.
2: We have a flatlined new infection rate of about 50,000
3: people a year.
4: We have done a lot, but not enough. We need to make
5: some changes.
1: listening, you can catch the Michelle Meow Show Monday through Friday, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network.